Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 358. Today's big Bible question, what do angels look like, plus the best reverse insult in the Bible? Well, hello, friends. Happy Saturday to you. Today and tomorrow's episodes might be a little shorter than normal due to the weekend. I guess we'll find out. Let's jump on in. Our readings for this fine Saturday include 2 Chronicles 22 and 23, Zechariah 6, John 9, and Revelation 10. And our question of the day is going to come from Revelation 10. We'll read it in just a moment. But I do need to highlight a couple of things in our John 9 passage first. I love John 9. I kind of think it's one of the funniest passages in the entire Bible, and I can't really tell if it was like intentionally written in a funny way or not, but I find the blind man who is healed by Jesus to be absolutely hilarious, and he is a guy possessed of a very sharp wit about him. He lands one of my favorite insults in the Bible, uh, but I think it's more of a reverse insult or maybe even an anti-insult. So what happens is he gets healed by Jesus and the Pharisees are upset about it. So they come and interview him. And and so this is this is what I'll I'll read it to you from 24 through 27. Uh, A second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. I'm talking about Jesus. And he answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? (laughs) That's just so great. So what he says actually insults the people he's intending to insult, and uh, and I'm sure it infuriates them. But of course, to say that somebody is a disciple of Jesus isn't really ultimately insulting, of course. Now, after this, we'll read it in a minute, the the Pharisees keep lighting into this guy and he keeps just walloping them back, easily getting the best of them. The lesson, don't enter into a battle of wits with a healed blind man when death is on the line. Uh, or a Sicilian for that matter. Well, a couple of theological points in John 9 we should at least mention. John 9.41 is a very intriguing verse. In it, Jesus says, If you were blind, you wouldn't have sin, but now that you say you we see, your sin remains. Now that's interesting, an intriguing passage. There's a couple of other teachings of Jesus that appear to be connected to this, uh, or at least in some tangential way. For instance, John 15, 22 through 24, Jesus says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Also, Luke twelve forty seven and through 48, Jesus says, The servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do his master's will will be severely beaten, but the one who did not know and did what deserved punishment will receive a light beating. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. So, 
All three of these passages are very theologically interesting. I'm not going to dive too deeply into them today because, honestly, most of what we would discuss would be unhelpful speculation. It does seem, however, that Jesus is teaching that greater knowledge of the truth brings with it greater responsibility for what you do with that truth, almost reminds you. Uh, And and it makes me wonder if uh, Uncle Ben's famous line in Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. I wonder if that was modeled off of this teaching of Jesus. More certainly, I think this is why James notes that teachers will be judged more strictly than other people because they know the truth more, which is a sobering thought. I don't think ignorance of the truth is an answer here, but this should exhort all of us to walk in the truth we have attained, just like Paul exhorts us to in in Philippians 3.16 when he says we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. One other theological note in this passage, you might have read before that Jesus says that he is the light of the world, and then he also says that we, his disciples, are the light of the world. And if you've wondered, like, how does that work exactly? Which one of us is the light of the world? Well, John 9, 5 uh, explains it very clearly and stops any confusion that you might have when he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So once Jesus is left, now his people, the body of Christ, we are the light of the world. Well, on to our main question. Let's read Revelation chapter 10, and we are going to find what I think is the most detailed description of an angel in the entire Bible. Revelation chapter 10, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun, his legs were like pillars of fire, and he held a little scroll open in his hand. He put his right foot on the sea, his left on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion. When he cried out, the seven thunders raised their voices, and when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders said and do not write it down. Then the angel that I had been standing, that, that I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. He swore by the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, there will no longer be a delay. But in the days when the seventh angel will blow his trumpet, then the mystery of God will be completed as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will be bitter in your stomach, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I ate it, my stomach became bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Well, that's an interesting passage all around. Very fascinating in several ways. Of course, I would love to know what the seven thunders said, but we're apparently not allowed to. But back to the description of the angel. It's very short. Verse 1, I saw a mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun. His legs were like pillars of fire. Now, you might immediately notice that this description is somewhat, maybe even very similar to the description of Jesus in Revelation 1. 
Verse 13, which says, Among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand, a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. Now, a rainbow is only mentioned like four-ish times in the Bible. Uh, Genesis 9, after Noah and the flood, God puts his bow in the sky. And here in Revelation 10, in the description of the angel, and in two different descriptions of God, one in Ezekiel chapter 1 and one in Revelation chapter 4, Verse 3, where it says, the one seated, like God seated on his throne, the one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone, a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. So angels apparently emanate rainbows, maybe, or at least they're surrounding them, and also God. So that's interesting. And God, and I mean, and Jesus and angels also appear to have that same shining, lightning, sun, fiery appearance. Now, of course, this is the resurrected, glorified Jesus in heaven, as described in Revelation chapter 1. As we've mentioned before, the Bible never indicates that angels have wings. Now, cherubim and seraphim appear to have wings, but the Bible never calls cherubim and seraphim angels. That noted, at least some angels can fly, including Gabriel, Because uh, Daniel 9.21 says, While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. And you also see Revelation 14.6, which says, I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, every nation, tribe, language, and people. So flying doesn't necessarily mean you have wings, as Superman and Iron Man have both proven. (laughs) Okay, that was a joke. I know they didn't prove that, but I still believe it's possible for a heavenly being to fly without wings. Don't get me wrong, angels might have wings. I'm just noting that the Bible never says they have wings. We assume they do, and I'm not sure we should assume they do, because wings are mentioned in a lot of places in Scripture, and never when it's discussing angels or a being that is directly called an angel. Well, I do think it is likely that angels can shift their appearance, so to speak. Take Gabriel, for instance, who we just talked about. In Luke 1, When Gabriel appears to the priest Zechariah, Zechariah is utterly shook and terrified. Luke 1.11 says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. And so is Daniel in Daniel 8. Daniel 8 verse 16 and 17, I heard a human voice calling from the middle of the Ulai. Gabriel explained the vision to this man. So Gabriel approached where I was standing, When he came near, I was terrified and fell face down. But Hebrews in the New Testament notes that some people have shown hospitality to angels unaware that they were even angels, which honestly would be difficult to do if you were struck with absolute terror every time you saw an angel, and if they really did shine like lightning and they had legs like fire. So it seems reasonable to conclude that they can appear human from time to time, as both the books of Daniel and Zechariah and other places too indicate. Other than our 
Revelation 10 passage we just read, I really know of only one other somewhat detailed description of an angel in the Bible, uh, and I'd love to hear from you if you also have one. But I do note that passages like Daniel 10 and Ezekiel 8 and some other passages that talk about the appearance of a heavenly being, it never says that they're necessarily an angel there. So I don't want to presume that they're angels. Uh, in fact, I think uh, the, the being described in Daniel 10 and Ezekiel 8 is very possibly, not saying for sure, of course, is very possibly a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Well, the only other description of an angel that goes into some detail other than Revelation 10 is found in the resurrection account of Matthew, Matthew 28, 1 through 4. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. So again, we see extreme brightness here, and also the ability to terrify. And there's one more description of angels, but it doesn't really describe them. It's more focused on their appearance. But Revelation 15.6 says, uh, John looks and sees, Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues, dressed in pure bright linen with golden sashes wrapped around their chest. Well, surprisingly, as many times as angels are mentioned in the Bible, there are very sparse details given to us as to how they look. Two descriptions of their clothing, both noting that they're bright white, and possibly they have fiery legs, at least our angel in Revelation 10 does, and they apparently have an overwhelmingly bright appearance, similar to the sun or lightning or some sort of really overpowering fire. Now, I myself have never seen an angel before, and I doubt very much I could draw a credible picture given the lack of description in the Bible. I would virtually guarantee, though, that almost all of our pop culture depictions of angels, even on Christian cards and books and things like that, depictions of angels as strong-looking humans with big bird-style wings and feathers, and usually the guys have long curly hair or something like that, I sort of think that's way off of the truth. Um, I think angels, for one, are much brighter than are usually depicted. In fact, probably so bright you can barely draw them. Probably don't have wings. May not exactly in their angel form look uh, human, as human as we think they do. But maybe in their human form they do. But you know what? I'm speculating because I suspect that an angel is a being that we really don't know how to accurately describe, given how little the Bible tells about it. But I guarantee you this, I think we know one as soon as we laid eyes on him. Well, let's keep reading. In Second Chronicles chapter 22, verse 1, in the Christian Standard Bible, Then the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his place, because the troops that had come with the Arabs to the camp had killed all the older sons, so Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, became king of Judah. Ahaziah was twenty years, 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, granddaughter of Omri. 
He walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother gave him evil advice, so he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, like the house of Ahab, for they were his advisors after the death of his father, to his destruction. He also followed their advice and went with Joram, son of Israel's king Ahab, to fight against King Hazael of Aram in Ramoth-Gilead. The Arameans wounded Joram, so he returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds they inflicted on him in Ramoth-Gilead when he fought against King Hazael of Aram. Then Judah's king Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, went down to Jezreel to visit Joram, son of Ahab, since Joram was ill. Ahaziah's downfall came from God when he went to Joram. When Ahaziah arrived, he went out with Joram to meet Jehu, son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to destroy the house of Ahab. So when Jehu executed judgment on the house of Ahab, he found the rulers of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brothers who were serving Ahaziah, and he killed them. Then Jehu looked for Ahaziah, and Jehu's soldiers captured him. He was hiding in Samaria. So they brought Ahaziah to Jehu, and they killed him. The soldiers buried him, for they said, He is the grandson of Jehoshaphat, who sought the Lord with all his heart. So no one from the house of Ahaziah had the strength to rule the kingdom. When Athaliah, Ahaziah's mother, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to annihilate all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. Jehoshabeth, the king's daughter, rescued Joash, son of Ahaziah, from the king's sons, who were being killed and put him and the one who nursed him in a bedroom. Now Jehoshabeth was the daughter of King Jehoram and the wife of the priest Jehoiada. Since she was Ahaziah's sister, she hid Joash from Athaliah so that she did not kill him. He was hiding with them in God's temple for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. Chapter 23. Then in the seventh year, Jehoiada summoned his courage and took the commanders of hundreds into a covenant with him, Azariah son of Jehoram, Ishmael son of Jehoihanan, Azariah son of Obed, Masaiah son of Adaiah, and Elashaphat son of Zikri. They made a circuit throughout Judah. They gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah and the family heads of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. Then the whole assembly made a covenant with the king in God's temple. Jehoiada said to them, Here is the king's son. He will reign just as the Lord promised concerning David's sons. This is what you are to do. A third of you priests and Levites who are coming on duty on the Sabbath are to be gatekeepers. A third are to be at the king's palace and a third are to be at the foundation gate and all the troops will be in the courtyards of the Lord's temple. No one is to enter the Lord's temple, but the priests and those Levites who serve, they may enter because they are holy, but all the people are to obey the requirement of the Lord. The Levites are to completely surround the king with weapons in hand. Anyone who enters the temple is to be put to death, accompany the king in all his daily tasks. So the commanders of hundreds did everything the priest Jehoiada commanded. They each brought their men, those coming on duty on the Sabbath and those going off duty on the Sabbath, for the priest Jehoiada did not release the divisions. The priest Jehoiada gave to the commanders of hundreds King David's spears, shields, and quivers, They were in the Lord's God's temple. Then he stationed all the troops with their weapons in hand, surrounding the king from the right side of the temple to the left side, by the altar and by the temple. They brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, gave him the testimony, and made him king. Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and cried, Long live the king! 
When Athaliah heard the noise from the troops, the guards and those praising the king, she went to the troops in the Lord's temple. As she looked, there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance. The commanders and the trumpeteers were by the king, and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets, while the singers with musical instruments were leading the praise. Athaliah tore her clothes and screamed, Treason! Treason! Then the priest Jehoiada sent out the commanders of hundreds, those in charge of the army, saying, Take her out between the ranks and put anyone who follows her to death with the sword. For the priest has said, Don't put her to death in the Lord's temple. So they arrested her, and she went by the entrance of the horse gate to the king's palace, where they put her to death. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself, the king, and the people, that they would be the Lord's people, so that all the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They smashed its altars and images and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, at the altars. Then Jehoiada put the oversight of the Lord's temple into the hands of the Levitical priests, whom David had appointed over the Lord's temple, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and song ordained by David. He stationed gatekeepers at the gates of the Lord's temple, so that nothing unclean could enter for any reason. Then he took with them the commanders of hundreds, the nobles, the governors of the people, and all the people of the land, and brought the king down from the Lord's temple." They entered the king's palace through the upper gate and seated the king on the throne of the kingdom. All the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, for they had put Athaliah to death by the sword. Zechariah chapter 6, verse 1, Then I looked up again and saw four chariots coming from between two mountains. The mountains were made of bronze. The first chariot had chestnut horses, the second chariot black horses, the third chariot white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all strong horses. So I inquired of the angel who was speaking with me, What are these, my lord? The angel told me, These are the four spirits of heaven going out after presenting themselves to the lord of the whole earth. The one with the black horses is going to the land of the north. The white horses are going after them, but the dappled horses are going to the land of the south. As the strong horses went out, they went. They wanted to go patrol the earth, and the lord said, Go patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he summoned me, saying, See, those going to the land of the north have pacified my spirit in the northern land. The word of the Lord came to me, take an offering from the exiles from Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go that same day to the house of Josiah, son of Zephaniah, take silver and gold, make a crown, and place it on the head of Joshua, son of Jehotzadak, the high priest. You are to tell him, this is what the Lord of armies says, here is a man whose name is Branch, he will branch out from his place, and build the Lord's temple. Yes, he will build the Lord's temple. He will bear royal splendor and will sit on his throne and rule. There will be a priest on his throne and there will be peaceful counsel between the two of them. The crown will reside in the Lord's temple as a memorial to Heldai, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hin, son of Zephaniah. People who are far off will come and build the Lord's temple and you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you. This will happen when you fully obey the Lord your God. Finally, John chapter 9. As Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day, Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, 
wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said he's the one. Others were saying, No, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. So they asked him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, Go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he? they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. And again, they asked the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. They asked them, Is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered. But we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Now, his parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah... He would be banned from the synagogue. That's why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? And they ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciple. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't even know where he's from. That's an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied, and you're trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, and when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Uh, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him, he asked. Jesus answered, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. (laughs) I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, We aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say, we see... Your sin remains. Hmm. Well, friends, may the Lord bless you with a good and safe weekend. May he guide you. May he cause you to walk in his wisdom and his truth. Good day to you and Godspeed. And Brother Jesse, we are praying for you. Godspeed especially to you.